Boy, that's he say, she say, I'm just a word. And if it ain't no work, then what's the word? What's the word? Yo, 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 what's up, world? It's your boy DZ Flint, joined by Paris Noel, Gabby Goes, and Sam Hill. And you are tuned into the third episode of What's the Word? Today, we're going to have limited to no music. However, we will be talking about a lot of good things that need to be talked about. Before we start, I want to go ahead and ask my co host how y'all is today. How y'all is? How y'all is? How y'all be? I is great. I is great. Wonderfully blessed. Okay, I love it. It is. Outside of it being higher than gorilla balls inside. I'm straight. Yeah, we're here. We good, man. Everybody good, man. Um, so today we're gonna be talking about a lot of what's been going on in the past weeks. Charlottesville happened. Prices. White supremacist, Nazi, KKK, Donald Trump not addressing stuff the way it needs to be addressed. And we are going to have a couple of special guests speaking on the subject with us as well. Before we get into our special guest interviews, I wanted to speak amongst my co-host about what we think we could do in order to dilute or delete racism and supremacy within our communities, at the very least. What do y'all think? I think first you have to start, everybody always wants to go outside of their community but you have to realize what's already there and what's missing. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I already do is I pour into black girls like all the time, every week. Mm-hmm. And I just make sure that they understand that they have opportunities just like any other person. Like they're not limited to success. Right. And that's a way for me to say, oh, I am giving back to my community. Although it might be, um, you know, something small. But it's still giving back. It starts small to go bigger. So it's just all about starting in your community. I mean, education is really the key, honestly. You can't can't expect people to know what they don't know. Like, you have to be taught certain things. And the way that people, the reason people are racist in general is because their parents taught them Mm -hmm. those ways. Mm -hmm. In order to change their ways, they're going to have to educate themselves. Exactly. So, yeah, them because they're not going to learn from their parents if their parents are already a certain way. Exactly. But I think I think a better word instead of saying educating because educating you think of school, you think, okay, there's this lesson. I'm going to learn it for now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to I'm going to like I'm going to study it. I'm going to take a test on it. I'm probably not going to really remember it afterwards. Like it's just going to be a momentary study. Okay, this is how you guys feel. This is what I need to know. Cool. And then after that, it kind of just veers off. It's not like an everlasting respect. I think more awareness. I think because that's on top of education, that's giving the understanding of where it's coming from. That's that's giving you an open mind to what I'm teaching you, plus for you to think outside of the box Mm -hmm. and be like, okay, so even if this particular situation that I'm teaching you doesn't happen to you, you can see this, this, and this potentially. It's just, it's more a whirlwind than educating one particular thing. Right. I'll be racist. Right. Okay. We're all racist, if we want to be honest. Even black people, Latinos, we all look at certain races and be like, oh, they're doing a certain thing because they're this race. Right. It's just, it's just, it's human nature. But having awareness of when you are being racist and have the things that are going around in your community that may seem fishy that are racist, you can educate the people in your neighborhood and make them aware that what you're doing might be wrong and let me tell you why not just saying i feel a certain type of way but there's probably a lot of people around who are being silent because they just want to keep 
what they're comfortable with, their lifestyle keep going the same way. They're yeah. not trying to cause any trouble. But that doesn't say people don't want to make other people aware. They just don't know how. Exactly. And I think we need to be more open and discuss things. Like, that's, without getting mad. Yeah, yeah without I, getting mad. Learning how to see others' point of view. And that's just respecting people because nowadays, like, nobody knows how to do that. Yeah. Exactly. Nobody. It's, it's, oh, you feel this way, and then they get punched in the face. Yeah. Exactly. So for me, like, how I feel, I kind of look at it from, you see these, you know, these neo-Nazis, or these Nazis, you see the these, you know, white capitalists, you see these, like, really racist people mm-hmm. who have hate in their heart. You can't change that. You can't mm-hmm. teach that. You can't teach that to change. Yeah. So the only way for me is for, like, how I feel like I can help my community is educating people to get to that point to where we can manipulate the media. Mm-hmm. Because the media is what has basically made this racial tension even mm-hmm. worse by not displaying what needs to be displayed. Now it's open in discussion. Right. Yeah, and and with you know, that, hearing opinions you don't want to hear from people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's how you feel. And it's <laughs> crazy because it's like after you know that that white woman that died at the rally, it took for for her to die, a white woman against white races, for it to really be like a, a true thing. Right. thing. So it's like we have to get to this point to where it's like we build an intolerance for it through the media because from there it's it's like unacceptable across the world which sucks it sucks so bad but like that's literally the point we have to get to in america just for things to not be acceptable in values and beliefs mm-hmm. and i think it also starts in schools because of course you spend nine hours a day in school, in school. that's a job <laughs> yeah nine hours a day you barely spend that much time with your family at all let alone if you have sports or something you after school you gotta go to sleep at night right so I feel like a lot of the times, things that they teach us in school, we we don't see a diverse culture when it comes to the history books. Mm-hmm. I mainly saw white people. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. Martin Luther King. Right, yeah, the the stamp for black people is Martin Luther King. I can't stand it. Or Harriet Tubman. There were more. Yes, there were <laughs> more only a people. Of them that they ever exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they're like the stamp for the black community. And there are more people who contributed to our success as black people. Yep. And they never get the recognition that they deserve. It took me to get to college to literally find out about these people. And that's specifically right. because right. specific classes that I African American exactly. studies, yep. African American history. Yeah, that's wild. And yeah. it took us having to go to an HBCU. Almost I, two decades of life. You don't know this. Yes. It just starts first at home, and then it's going to start with the school system, Mm -hmm. and then the community. We have to be open to hearing the different points of view that everyone has, because it makes us who we are. Everybody's responsible. Exactly. Basically. (laughs) At this point. Yeah. In every sense of form, you have the grocery store awareness. Mm Mm-hmm. You're a janitor awareness. (laughs) Spitting out knowledge. You're a zookeeper awareness. Awareness. I don't care. Hey, you need to hear this. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you need to hear this, cuz. Well, all right. For our first special guest, we have Taylor Kennerly from Connecticut on the line. She is currently studying for her master's in psychology at Bowie State University in Maryland. What's up, Taylor? Hey. So, you know, we got you on the phone. You have a degree in psychology. I know you probably know a lot about what's going on. What I want to ask you first is what you think about hate speech and its protection by the First Amendment. Do you think it still needs to be protected after the events that's been going on lately? Um, when I think about like hate speech, I always go straight to 
playing like the devil's advocate um, because I guess there's been so many different laws that have been implemented or taken away or changed with the idea that once we get rid of this thing or we decide to prosecute or something in that type of manner that it's going to benefit us in the end mm-hmm. but I always look at it in a way as like they consider Black Lives Matter a hate group Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the moment that we decide to begin to prosecute hate speech, it's like, who are they going to actually prosecute? Are they going to prosecute the people that are offending and hurting people that are minorities or right. of a different group? Or are they going to go after the people that aren't saying what they want to be heard? So it's kind of tricky because do I believe that hate speech should be a thing that's promoted and should be able to said anywhere by any person no Mm -hmm. but at the same time you have to understand that when it comes to protecting speech period you're protecting your own speech Mm -hmm. in the same breath and it's almost like what are they going to take as hate speech yeah Mm -hmm. whatever yeah it's very very opinionated when it comes to what can be deciphered as hate speech Mm -hmm. and what can be deciphered as motivation right and either or can be cipher from a different group of people like okay you may say certain things then you might take it as negative advice but then Gabby over here could be like no that's positive what are you talking about so I mean the same thing is motivational and hate speeches right but I like I like where she was going with that but I also have like when does it become a little bit of like hypocrisy in that Mm -hmm. and certain things like okay let's take minorities or like someone who's Islam say they you know start speaking arabic in a different language and someone's like oh they're saying crazy terrorist hate stuff and then they get arrested like where where does the line get drawn with that into where you know these minorities st- stop being attacked for certain things that they say that are considered by sensitive people to be hate, hate speech. speech right it's just our duty to bring awareness to the different cultures, though. Yeah. And I think that's what we've lacked in the past, especially stemming from our ancestors. They didn't really want to know about the black culture. So what makes you think they wanted to know about the Islamic culture or the Chinese culture? Like, mm-hmm. they don't like anything that's not, not, normal. Sim- that's not normal to them. So it's just going to take us bringing more awareness to their children, their legacy, to understand, like, we can't just say, oh, I don't like what this person says because they're speaking in a different language. It's just going to take education, yeah. really. Do you agree that all of the Confederate statues and flags and all the other paraphernalia should be removed from their place and like should only exist in museums? Or should they even exist in museums? Do we need to just tear them down com- completely? Some type of emphasis on what you're teaching people. 
but earlier this year, I actually went to go visit um, the new African American Museum that they have here in DC. Right. And um, anyone that's been there before knows that you go through at least like two floors before you reach like you know the the eighteen hundreds. You go through like a floor and a half, I guess. Mm -hmm. And towards the back, there was um, a plaque that was that was about Susan B. Anthony. And this is, the minute I saw her name, I was like, why is she up there? Like, she's a racist just going off. Because you're triggered already just mm -hmm. from, you know, walking that first floor. And my friend was like, did you read the plaque? And I was like, no. And I read it, and it definitely, it, it made light of her being a feminist icon for the late 1800s, blase, blase. But it also clearly stated how she opposed the rights for black people and mm. basically how she was a racist. Mm. And it told her whole history. It didn't just show her in this one light of her being this feminist icon. She's amazing. She's great. It showed what she really stood for right. in a full circle. So when you're placing these statues of the Confederacy, don't just let, you know, these little white kids that are going in there and they're seeing these statues of people and they're like, this person fought for the South, that's all they see, that's all they hear. No, it. let them know what they're actually, what yeah. they actually fought for. Yeah, tell their whole story. Yeah. I like that because, like, with all history that's been taught, we only see, like, we're only taught, like, the, the good, the good, the goodness, <laughs> right. the good. Christopher the Columbus, Columbus. Yeah. so great, this is kind of my thing, too, like, okay, I understand, like, preserving the history, and, yeah. like, just, of, of the backstory of America, it was built on, you know, immigrants, it was built on this war between the North and the South over, you know, the South, yeah. still debatable of the South keeping basically their yeah. money, which is slaves. Exactly. So with that, I feel like we can take them down, we can do that, but like, we're still not going to have those, you know, those monuments that are history. Mm -hmm. So why don't we also like maybe knock down like the most racist ones, keep the ones that may be monumental right. in terms of like having that history Okay. and knowing what happened in that city per se but also add the ones of like the african-americans the minorities that actually shaped you know but yeah if the, you're gonna have, the, if you're gonna have stock, statues of certain events that kind of pinpoint certain points in um in american history yeah. you got to have all kinds of statues right. native american exactly. statues african-american statues there's certain areas where certain different nate or different ethnicities have provided that much energy day. into their culture into that area so why are they getting recognized just because it's either a time where they're not making new statues or whatever the case may be but you can't just pinpoint on one particular point in time and not the other exactly i feel you i mean even to this day like we're still taught of black history that i've never known in my entire life i learned yeah. something new. <laughs> That you didn't teach us none of that in school. Or it's someone who, like, literally invented the very first one of that, but, a, you know, a white person. Yeah, the credit, right? yes. Which is so crazy to me, so. Like Jack yeah. Daniels. All those statues, because. The person who made Jack Daniels, yeah. he learned the recipe from his slave. Exactly. That's we made crazy, right? Bro. We made the street sign. We did. We made the stuff like But we never get credit. Who heard that, uh, that story about George Washington's teeth being wood? Oh, we always yeah. were told that. And then I heard recently that it, they were like, taking out of slaves' teeth. Yeah. 
Like, yeah, they're not wooden teeth. They're just, they were handily, like, molded individually from slaves. Yeah. All right. Last question. I'm going to ask him, Taylor. What do you think you can personally do to help resolve racial tensions in America or worldwide? I'm I'm one of those avid believers that white people are going to the people that get rid of racism. Like, we can educate all day, we can hold lectures, we can do podcasts, like, we can do everything we can in our power, but, you know, if they don't want to listen, they're not going to. And it's going to be that disconnect of culture and, you know, that racial that racial disconnect. That's what's going to stop us. It needs to be white people who need to take that extra step to stop it within their own communities at their own tables. But within my own community, Personally, um, I feel like not only education, but also giving those within the black community because everybody knows that the black community stretches way further than just America, or for most people it does. It's it's a whole diaspora that's from South America to North America to even Europe. So I feel like offering some type of, I guess, like, connection between everyone in that in the diaspora mm-hmm. to recognize that we all do have a common base and we have a common enemy and we have a common goal between, you know, all of us that look the same and have similar cultures. That's something that we can, that I can do, that we can do um, in order to fight racial tensions within our own community. Because, I don't know, like, for for. Me, personally, I've noticed racial tensions just for the simple fact that our HBCUs, you know, blacks versus Africans, blacks versus Caribbean, well, American blacks versus Caribbeans against Africans, etc. And a lot of it just stems from, you know, stereotypes and, you know, that general ignorance that they might have grown up with inside their own cultures that they don't even realize or they don't want to acknowledge stems from this Eurocentric, I guess, like idealism that, you know, every country has to deal with. So I know that me personally, um, I actually hope to start a nonprofit one day that actually targets like educating black children um, about the diaspora and about our history to give a sense of pride and to give a sense of, you know, acknowledgement to the world outside of their own backyard. So that's what I planned to do. That was beautiful. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) That was beautiful. All right, well, thank you, Taylor. We're glad that you called in and, or we called you, and uh, (laughs) you gave us that good bit of information. It was really needed. Thank you, Taylor. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you. Well, all right, guys, we're about to take a quick break, and we will be back momentarily. Stay tuned. Uh, uh, hello? Hey, this is what's the word? What's the word? Oh, no. What's the word? All right, y'all, we got Khalil Sadiq on the line. Khalil been a, a little brother to me for a good minute, man. I met him about four years ago at Howard University. He's a man of connections and an aspiring inspirer. Originally from Birmingham, Alabama, he's currently serving the U.S. Army as a radiographic technologist in Germany. How you doing, Khalil? Dog, oh, man, I'm happy to be here. Appreciate you having me on the show. It's good to kind of reconnect with you in this capacity, man. I'm excited. Yeah, man. I'm glad. I'm glad you decided to come through for us, man. Um, So I got you on here because 
you a really outspoken person. Uh, to me, you're you're wise, especially for your age. We the same age, basically. But yeah, word. You talk as if you're 40, 50 years old. That you just seen a lot of life. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't ignore that. That you gotta have a voice. That you gotta have something to say, especially about what's been going on these past few weeks uh, with Charlottesville and the racists, the Nazis, and KKK. So to start things off, I kind of want to ask you, hate speech, you know, it's speech at the end of the day and we have freedom of speech with the First Amendment and so it's protected. Do you think that it should still be protected by the First Amendment and why and why not? Um, you know, most definitely, I think that, you know, hate speech or not, uh, you know, I think that everybody's entitled to their own opinion, mm -hmm. but I think that the ability that we have to connect, you know, the way you now has kind of removed the realistic perspective from people sharing this opinion. So, you know, there was a Supreme Court case uh, in 1919, Shank versus the United States, and you got the Supreme Court judge, Oliver Wendell Holmes, mm -hmm. and they called him the Great Dissenter. And this is what he wrote, an expression that's kind of popular that basically says that you can't shout fire in a crowded theater. So he was kind of drawing a conclusion from this that words that ordinarily would be okay and protected by the freedom of speech mm -hmm. when presented under certain circumstances may be inflammatory. And you can't just go around yelling your opinion all willy-nilly as you please and not expect some repercussions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people say one thing, one thing, yada, yada. But I think this is, this is really practically applicable and, and really should be thought about on a daily basis. So, for example, if you and I right now were to walk into a barbershop and be like, Lonzo Ball, the best player the NBA has ever seen. Mm -hmm. Okay, you you're going to expect some backlash. Yeah, you know you're going to expect dudes in the barbershop to to, to clown you instantly. Like, yeah, <laughs> dudes going to take it personal. They're going to be personally. You might not even get the haircut you want coming in there talking like talking that. crazy. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, and that's just that's just how it is. And and and, and if you were to do that and you were to walk away from that situation with your feelings hurt. Mm -hmm. then it would be your fault because you had an unrealistic expectation of what was going to happen when you voiced your opinion mm -hmm. and it was unorthodox. And that doesn't mean that it's not right for you to have that opinion, but you also have to be cognizant of the environment that you were in and, right. and understand that you can't just, well, if, you, if you're going to say that, then you should be fully prepared to deal with the, the, the lash that you, you may get back from sharing that opinion. Exactly. And that's just that's how things work because just like you got an opinion you know so somebody else and so for there to be a group of people in the united states who have the the luxury of being able to decide that they they hate an entire group of people and if they are somehow genetically superior to an entire group of people groups of people actually it's not just one group of people yeah. they think they're better than it if you think that that's that's fine you know that's okay you can you can think that but like you said you got to prepare for that one, backlash and i think that that's where the whole idea of what should or shouldn't be protected by the Constitution comes into play because if you, you know, you let this one group of people walk down the street and say, hey, we hate everybody, we're better than everybody, and we think they should all, you know, die or be deported or be arrested or put in jail, mm -hmm. it, it's unrealistic to expect that there won't be some type of repercussion for that. Right. And I think that that's where the issue with this whole thing comes in, you know, is just keep that to you mm -hmm. or be ready to deal with. What's consequences of your behavior so then what do you think we need to do to fix the situation you know what i'm saying is it fixable 
or whose responsibility is it? You know, I think that one of the things that if you if you look at what's going on, and Chris Rock made a great point about this when mm-hmm. we talked about the situation. The situation is white hate. And uh, what Chris Rock said was that, you know, everybody talks about we make in white hate as if black people were making progress. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he said that if, if me and you were standing there talking and you just start punching me in the face and then one day you stop punching me in the face, first of all, you were wrong. But second of all, they don't need to applaud me for you stopping punching. They really need to applaud you for getting rid of your problem because you're the one with the issue. You're sick. Exactly. And personally, uh, you know, as, as a black man, I choose not to let oppression control my identity. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm tired of that. I'm tired of being upset and angry and feeling discriminated against and letting that, you know, no pun intended, color every aspect of my mm-hmm. character. Right. And I am not going to take on the burden of seeing white hate. That's not my job. I got so many more positive things I can be doing in his life. Right. It's not my problem. I wasn't born with it. I didn't cause it. I don't do things to perpetuate it. So I'm not going to take that burden on. So when it comes to fixing the problem, I think that all that my job is, is to be, you know, the best man that I can be to the people who choose to be in my life, regardless of their color. It just happens to be a significantly larger portion of African-Americans, but that's who I feel at home with. Yeah. And I, I'm not trying to change that for nothing or nobody. I like being a black man. I love it. I wouldn't change it for anything. And I'm just focused on being the best black man that I can be. And, you know, when I when I encounter white people and they, they have their differences of opinion, like, it's, it's just what it is. It sucks. It sucks. You know, you're going to be the yeah. one eating unseasoned food and dancing off beat for the rest <laughs> of your life. Like, that's not my problem. And I don't, I don't really care to solve it. You know, I, I wish everyone the best. Yeah. But I just think that you know, black people often take on this burden of, of not only do we try to fix white people's problem, but we, we try to include everybody because we're naturally just that good hearted. Yeah. You know, if, if, if a white guy walk into a black party and he started dancing, what do we do? We gonna hype him we up. We gas him up. Exactly. We naturally feel compelled to just do that. We're inclusive. We're, we're, we're great. Mm-hmm. And I just want to contribute to that more and more. That's mm-hmm. how I figure to solve the problem. It's just, Continue to spread to that positivity, that, that positive spirit. Exactly. But we can't talk about fixing, I guess, the racial problem without also talking about our own problems too. Like it's not a secret; we do have problems within our own community. I don't even know if we can say they're problems that we brought upon ourselves or not. But nonetheless, I do. I do believe that they're fixable within ourselves, even if they were placed upon us. So true. True. Things like, why is it so hard for people in the black community to support others in the black community? If that makes any sense. Dog, you know, that's a two-way street. I I think there are a lot of issues, but I was actually having a conversation with a a friend of mine the other day. Mm -hmm. And he's actually, he's a German guy, Mm -hmm. right? But his father's an American black guy and his mother's a white German woman. Mm -hmm. And so... We were having this conversation about Apple Music versus Tidal. And, you know, he was, I'm like, well, why don't you got Tidal? Because I got Tidal on my phone. And he's like, well, you know, Jay-Z got enough money. Hmm. And I'm like, that's crazy because you would never, ever, ever have said Steve Jobs got enough money. Right. You wouldn't think that. When you buy Microsoft products, you wouldn't say Bill Gates got enough money. You know, that's just not, that's not the way that we think about people that aren't like us yeah so i'm like you have to accept that at some point in your mind you've been conditioned by that 
for that crabs in a barrel mentality and that you, you've let your opinions be colored by some aspect of self-hate. You resent Jay-Z for having this amount of money and for some reason you don't you don't want to contribute and I don't know what that that is but yeah. you a hater yeah and you know we have to go past that you know if, if you walk into a you know a local owned you know chicken spot and you know the people that's owning it for some reason our instinct is to be like hey let me get the hookup let me get a discount right, let me, <laughs> instead of giving a tip go, right instead of giving a tip and then bringing extra business Having your parties through this, you know, this chicken service and having them cater your events. That's not where our instinct is. Our instinct is to instead ask for the hookup and, and uh, the discount for the low. Because in our mind, we don't think that this product can be of the same quality as something you would get from a white or just a foreign-owned establishment. Because mm-hmm. they have to be superior. I, I don't know where that's negative conditioning. Well, we do know where that negative conditioning comes from, mm-hmm. but... Like you said earlier, at this point, it's our fault, you know? You, yeah. you wouldn't go into Macy's or Belk or Sears or JCPenney's and ask them for a discount because you don't know them. Right. You would never do that. But when you see somebody that you do know, for some reason, you don't want to fully financially support them. And we have to admit that that's, that's a reflection of our self-hate, and we got to get past that. But on that same note, though, on the same note, you know, when we do have, you know, I I get tired of, of, of people who I know. I know you've experienced this too, dog. Mm-hmm. People who you know, who they, they say they want to be an entrepreneur. So they start a clothing brand, and they take some words and put them on a t-shirt, and they want to charge you $45 for a t-shirt with words. And you're like, dog, I'm not trying to like not support you, but we, we got to be a little bit more realistic here, you know? And yeah. I understand it costs you a lot. You want to make money. You feel like your, your product is worth this, but you got to meet me where I'm at. And I think that a lot of, you know, black business owners have a really hard time meeting their potential customer base where they already are. Mm-hmm. You know, why don't you, you make accommodations to meet your black buyer base where they are so that we can support you fully? Why don't you make adjustments? Why is it that as soon as you made yourself a black business owner, now you view yourself as black elite different than me? And you want to ask me or overcharge me, or you want to just have ridiculous or condescending customer service. I mean, the list yeah. goes on. We've all had these experiences with with black businesses. So yeah. I think that the two way street, you know, I got to be willing to go out of my way to support the the black business owner, mm-hmm. but the black business owner has to help me help them. Exactly. Let's meet at so the middle ground. It somewhere. can be mutually beneficial. Exactly. We <laughs> got to establish that middle ground. And right now, we're not trying to do that. Mm-hmm. I got to rep your brand. I got to tell people what your brand is. This isn't just me wearing a shirt. It's an experience. Exactly. It's, a, it's, a, it's an active decision. So, you know, you got to help me. You got to let me help you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know if you follow what be going on on Twitter. Uh, you got a shorty, Jamila Lemuel. I don't know how to say her name. Lemuel. Lemuel, I think it's French though. I know how you. I know you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> she kind of got this coin term put on her. Uh, black Twitter feminist. She's a feminist. She says a lot of good things about you know women not having equal rights as men, which is real. But she also has not just I her in general. Her, yeah, not just her, but it's a lot of black women on social media that has this thing about saying niggas ain't shit. Now. It could be taken as a broad thing where niggas could be all men. But the way I've been seeing it lately is more so is the black men that they're coming after. Is it something that we're doing? Is it something that we we can fix 
to please the black woman more or is it just opinionated is it all subjective man you know this this conversation we, we could really do a whole hour just about this particular conversation yeah and so you know i, I didn't realize the level of frustration that a, a black woman yeah, I was having a conversation one day with, uh, you know, I'm in the military, mm-hmm. and so I was talking with some some more black men in the, in the military, and none of them, which the HBCUs except for me. So we were talking, and we were talking about our, our preferences in women, and we were talking about, you know, seeing seriously be with a woman. All these men, one of them was Haitian, you know, the other two African American. I'm African American, mm-hmm. and I can never see myself seriously with a woman outside of the race. That's what I said. Like, yeah. you know, I know I'm going to marry a black woman have kids with a black woman that I just know that I don't even really find myself physically attracted to, to other women. And they were like, wow, that's really narrow minded and, you know, prejudice, you know, that's discriminating. And I'm like, nah, you know, I, that's just, I, I know what I like. And then mm-hmm. they were like, well, ultimately what, what does it come down to? And I'm like, you know, why wouldn't you marry? It, it, of course it turned into the black and white conversation. Like why wouldn't you marry a white woman? Mm-hmm. And what I said was that, if I was to marry a white woman and have a daughter, she would be black. And that white woman could never teach my black daughter how to be a black woman. Mm-hmm. And neither can I. That's and I, I I won't subject my daughter to that. She needs a black woman in her life. Because my daughter's going to be black regardless because I'm black. Yeah. So she she needs that. And I, I know what I got from my mother when she raised me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I know what my grandmama put into me. And I know that I needed that just as much as I needed the things that I got from my father. And without that duality, I don't know what type of person that I would be. Right. And that's just, you know, from my personal experience and perspective. And for the black men who I was talking with to tell me that I was narrow minded and I needed to, you know, like they didn't see the value of of black women in each of their lives. Mm -hmm. And when she says that niggas ain't shit, that's what she's talking about because if you are you know a black man who is able to to step outside of yourself for just a moment and look at how important the black woman has been to your development to your perspective mm-hmm. to your growth um to your opinion of yourself outside of the black woman just being an object of your physical attraction you see how how much more important she is then and only then can you begin to really grow to understand and love and appreciate black women the way you need to right but until you 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 see that and you just looking at them like you know somebody who you swipe left or swipe right on tinder or somebody who you tweet with or you know a woman who you have sex with mm-hmm. you know black men are so narrow-minded sometimes that we don't even think that we have sex with women we think that sex is something that you do to women it's like a you know, we're, yeah. we're that far gone i hear and, you and, 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 you know, so I, I can see where she gets that opinion from. I wish that, you know, a woman with a platform as powerful as hers would would step away from that negative that negative type of, of, of energy mm-hmm. to put out. Like, I would never put out that, that black women ain't shit, even though all of the negative experiences that I've had with women have been with black women. Mm-hmm. But that's the only really big black women. Yeah. So... You know what I'm saying? But then I All guess the that can kind of go with I've like... Have been with black women. That, I guess that can kind of go with like, so... If all of their negative experiences have only been with black men because they only date black men, then in their mind, wouldn't they go, 
well, maybe I should try a white man or a Frenchman or, or whoever from some different culture or race. Why not try something else? And then it's like, what does that other race or culture do better than what I was doing? You know, I think that that's an issue that we face generationally. I, I've rarely ever had a woman tell me what she felt like I did wrong. Mm-hmm. I did it wrong. Maybe maybe I didn't make her comfortable enough to express that, or maybe maybe she just didn't see the point. I, I don't know. But I, And I think that's a two-way thing. I don't think they are capable of expressing themselves as well as they need to. Mm-hmm. And... So we, we, we might not ever get to the bottom of what makes us so, you know, ain't shit at yeah. times because everything is individual. But I just think that to get past that problem, it's kind of like what we were talking about with the black business. Like, you got to make the decision in your mind. Like, I, I will not be swayed by a white woman to give her this this love that I got, man. And I feel like the, the, the way I'm coming, only a black woman is even able to reciprocate and appreciate the love I got to give fully. And I feel the same way about, you know, black women. Like, yeah, I, I, only a black man could really fully reciprocate and appreciate that type of love because only he can feel you on that level. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's a personal opinion. People are going to contest that. But, you know, I, I thoroughly believe that. That's good, man. You, you entitled to your own opinion, bro. Can you, like, define exactly what black Twitter is? And do you think the jokes and the... Issues that we address on black, t- not necessarily black Twitter, but black social media in general. It could be, you think it's helping or hurting us in any type of way. Dog, I, I, I think that shit is amazing <laughs> in every way. Um, I do, you know, I was, I was with some fraternity brothers of mine and we were visiting Berlin mm-hmm. and, you know, so we're in Berlin and we run into these three girls and one of them is from Iraq. One of them is from Amsterdam, and one of them is from Germany. And, you know, the, the two that were from, you know, Amsterdam and Germany, they were white-skinned. And the one that was from Iraq, you know, she was, you know, just a lighter complexion. Right. You, you wouldn't have called any, any of them black. And they had so many questions about black media, African-American specific things that had developed based on social media. Mm-hmm. I mean, they wanted to know about the jokes that we tweeted. They wanted to know about things that we'd seen on Instagram. Like, a Vine that you would see on Instagram and you would just be like, oh, that's funny, you know, and just you would just keep it pushing, right? Yeah. They were, like, studying these things. Like, they wanted to know, okay, like, this is funny. And they were asking us, like, why is this funny to you? Like, what is it about this that you guys think it's so funny because we we just think it's funny because you think it's funny but they don't even understand the humor they know just because we like that shit that that shit is cool Mm -hmm. and that is enough for the rest of the world the rest of the world sees what we create what we share and our experiences and they know that we are on the cutting edge of popular culture and and that's that's crazy it's only us that you know, we don't realize the the influential yeah. power that we harness. Yeah. That's, That's only us that, you know, I I wish that we could really tap into it, man, in a more productive way. But there are those of us who are. So I'm not going to say that, you know, we are, Beyonce is a, is a global superpower. Yeah. Superstar is not a strong enough word for the influence that Beyonce has. Mm-hmm. Superpower. And you know, I feel like she's really tapped into what it what it means to control that that level of influence. You know, I think the only thing I would change, man, and this is just one of those things about social media. There are some things that 
I feel like are in-house discussions. You know, yeah. like if you you and I went somewhere in front of some strangers and you did some stuff that I felt like was goofy, which you know that that ain't you, but I'm just saying if it did, then you know I would talk to you about that later. I wouldn't talk to you about that in front of everybody. Exactly. So, you know, when some things happen in our community and we feel different ways about things that are unfolding, I wish that those deep discussions that we have and those agreements and disagreements, I wish that we could have those in a more private setting. Yeah. I hate to see those on social media sometimes, but, you, you know, you take the good with the bad. Black Twitter is popular culture, though. It, it just is. Yeah, man, it's crazy to think about how much we really do influence the world. Um, the whole world, dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so last question. I'm going to let you go ahead and get up out of here. I know you're busy out there in Germany. What do you think you can personally do to help resolve the tensions in America or worldwide? What do you What do you think you can do, or what are you even doing? Um, dog, and I, I kind of hate to say this at this particular time period, just because it's kind of cliche right now. Yeah. And so I hope that you know it might not have the impact that I would like it to have, but like financial independence and financial freedom is the name of the whole game. If you look at the real root of like 99% of the problems that we face, it's because there's money involved, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, hypothetically speaking, you know, how would university students worry about the university charging students more money or less money because the the university has to generate revenue because it's getting a majority of its income from the United States government. Yeah. And so... If Howard University doesn't meet certain standards that the United States government sees fit, it will lose funding. And then it won't be able to support the students. So it puts the the administration of the university between a rock and a hard place because they don't want to charge students more money. They don't want to change things. They don't want to have chalkboards in the classrooms. But the government don't care. Not at all. They want to see X, Y, Z. And even though we need A, B, and C, they have to do what they can to keep getting this money from the government i.e. the white man to keep the black student in, in education and you know just just you know use your imagination for a second and just envision you know Howard University as a 100% black funded institution hmm. where we did not need outside revenue to sustain us imagine where we will put that money instead of where the university currently puts its money Imagine a university did everything that it could to keep students there and make sure that they graduated on time mm-hmm. instead of sending students home who have a semester left or two semesters left and then charging them for the mm-hmm. time that they were there. You know, yeah. that's really the microcosm of the, of the issues that affect our entire community. That's why somebody like Little Wayne can say that he doesn't think racism ex- exists yeah. because he doesn't need money from a white man to do what he does on a daily basis. So he does not have to deal with it. As a community, if we were to, to think that same way and decide, man, like, you know, I'm going to get a... Because we're the only ones that think that, like, if I get a job, you know, if I have a company and I only hire black people, I'm being racist. Nobody else thinks that. If you go to, to a Mexican restaurant, who works there? Mexicans. Mexicans. And we don't call them racist. If you go to a nail salon, you see people of Asian descent who work there, and we don't call them racist for that. They just put it on their family. We've never gone into an... That's it. You know, we, we're the only ones who think that we can support one another and, and that be okay. We, we're the only ones who don't do that, man. The moment that we get over that, we will solve all of our problems, man. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to do, man. I'm trying to get on 
and put my people on in the process. And we all can so, do that, honestly. Know, everybody eats. Exactly, dog. Exactly. That's how we fix the problem, man. I'm doing everything I can to get there. I hear that, bro. Hey, I appreciate you giving your answers, man. It was real insightful, real wise, as always, coming from Khalil Sadiq, bro. I appreciate that, dog. Anytime, man. Anytime. I'm going to definitely make sure I keep in touch with you, homie. Hey, stay up over there. All right, y'all. So for our final guest, we have Jordan Hyatt from Chicago, Illinois, recent graduate of Howard University on the line. What's up, Jordan? Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm doing all right today. Uh, been in Atlanta for about a week now. Uh, you know, it's treating me pretty well. That's what's up, man. So reason that we got you on is because I've seen – a lot of what you say on social media, you're really outspoken. You don't you don't hold anything back. Um, so I really want to talk to you about you know everything that's going on with the Charlottesville stuff and Nazi KKK white supremacy things. Um, it's been getting kind of crazy these past few weeks, bro. So I know it's kind you, you got to kind of go back a couple weeks, but you know what's your opinion on how you know uh, Donald Trump? handled the whole situation from when he first addressed it and said there was two sides and then he dismissed the white supremacists and then he went back and said again oh it's two sides to the story and all that um well I think that we shouldn't be all as surprised at, at the way that Donald Trump approached the situation mm-hmm. uh, looking at his past looking at the campaign he ran uh, just looking at the people that he had been trying to appeal to the entire time. Right. Um, but the issue I have with this particular situation is that, well, is that you can't condemn and then say, but, you right. know what I mean? You can't, you can't, you can't say like, something okay, and then take it back. But yeah. And then, then you have your slip ups to say, and, um, you know, there's fine people on that side. Like there's really no room to call, people that are that are living their life based on hatred uh fine people uh as far as i'm concerned right so like that goes into my next question you know hate speech is protected by the first amendment which is almost anything you know freedom of speech you think that should stand after all that's been happening with not not even the past few weeks it, it could really go back with the past few years it can go back almost 30 years honestly do you think that the first amendment should still protect hate speech um, I mean, yeah, I do. Yeah. But I think that you have to look at the law in its entirety. So when you have any law that, that is based upon allowances, as in it, it, you know, it allows you to do this and, it, uh, you know, you have the right to do this, mm-hmm. there are also limitations that come with those those laws. and infringing upon you breaking those limitations yeah uh you can be processed within a court of law and and convicted as well exactly you know, uh, there's consequences with all that right and so one of the limitations for our first amendment is that one it cannot be hate speech mm-hmm. uh, it cannot be speech that makes a threat of imminent violence right and i think that that's where we need to take that and, and really put a magnifying glass upon it. Uh, when you're looking at groups that have very specific histories upon hateful rhetoric, as well as the violence that goes along with that rhetoric, mm-hmm. there's a consistent threat that looms upon that. 
upon those groups and upon those upon that rhetoric. So uh, I think that you know, as far as that goes, it should not be allowed. As far as allowing in public spaces, allowing white nationalist groups, you know, Nazi groups, right, white supremacy, it's all the same. All the uh, same. And, <laughs> have a history um consistent history not you don't have a history of of it not being that before it was it has always been that that is the way that it began and so when you have that kind of thing i think that uh it's important to acknowledge that those kinds of groups gathering should not ever be lawful okay i feel you in the case of antifa which is in a an anti-fascist group that uses violence to fight fascism and racism. Do you think that's the correct way to go about solving the issue using violence? Because it's like they haven't really responded to the peaceful protest as much as they, as I feel like they should. But is uh, violence the way? Uh, well, I think that first and foremost, um, the fight upon equality the fight against white supremacy, the fight for the liberation and autonomy of black peoples mm-hmm. and peoples of color uh, stands first and foremost with black people and peoples of color. Right. And Antifa is not led by the autonomous leadership of black people and or peoples of color. Gotcha. So I want to just make that clear and, and, and state that Antifa does not equate to uh, a Black Lives Matter doesn't equate to a civil rights movement. Uh, yeah. movement. And then to further answer your question, I want to say that violence, I, I can't say that that is the answer, but I do think that it's important to note that nonviolence didn't always work either. Right. It's, <laughs> it's almost like people are fed up at this point, and that's where Antifa comes from. Like you said, it's not black-led, or people, are, people of color don't really lead it, so you can't equated to BLM or or uh, Black Panthers but people get fed up after so long you know you tell them the peaceful protest but after you know they peaceful protest you still not hearing them it can get frustrating uh-huh. uh, for sure I think that um, it's it's really important to note that that violence does beget violence mm-hmm. um, and so it's important to note that when you have groups that basically those groups mean violence at this point. The yeah. white nationalist neo-Nazi debate. There is no way to say that and not think violent. Yeah. When you allow groups like that public space to spew rhetoric, to spew uh, hatred and, and, and violence themselves, you can, violence does beget violence. So you mm-hmm. can't really expect for there to not be a, a violent reaction to their presence. That's real. We have our problems in our in our community. We, we everyone knows it, and the problem is is that everyone outside of our community can point inward and say, "Y'all do this, y'all do that," and we don't like that. That's that's not cool. But we have to at least try to like you know do better for ourselves, ignore the outside, and at least do better for ourselves. Try and diminish stereotypes that are placed upon us. So one of the things that I've kind of noticed a lot of recently is that the black male leader figure is kind of washed and it seems that you know the black woman is taking more of a a step forward in leading the cause you know what do you think that 
we should do as black men to actually start coming forward more, you know, being more outspoken, not being, I don't want to say afraid to speak up, but it's that's what it more so seems like. We would rather address something funny, jokingly, than to actually address matters at hand. Um, well, first I want to say that um, I agree with you that there's a problem that we have within ourselves. Right. Like I said, attaining liberty means that we've attained autonomy. Uh, within our community to be able to govern ourselves mm -hmm. and so that means that the that the remaining issues the lasting issues whether they be self-inflicted or inflicted by the system of white supremacy yeah uh they, they will be our issues to deal with unfairly be our issues alone. <laughs> unfair as it may be it really doesn't matter at that point yeah. they will be our issues so we really we really do need to get a handle on that as well mm -hmm. one i think that black women and black men uh, should be operating as an entity, as one entity, as 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 a fighting force. And I think that one, a lot of black men need to be engaged upon the mo emotional and mental illnesses or blockades that they suffer from. Mm -hmm. um, we have, and 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 the most important one being empathy. Hmm. And I think that that's important because I think that once we are able to properly and healthily empathize with our black women and then we'll be able to stand side by side with them i think right now that black men lack a lot of the skills or a lot of the vulnerability to properly empathize that makes sense and so therefore and so therefore um you have black women who have been able to navigate mm -hmm. that much better than we have you have them stepping up to the plate and, and owning up. And, and with the problem, that seems to be that they don't feel held up from from our side. Right. They, we're not backing them up as we should. Exactly. Yeah. And so, personally, I thank God for the black woman every day. I thank God for my mother. I thank God for my sister. I thank God for my aunts and my friends. The people that really lift us up every day because they, I mean, they, they are supremely helpful. And in the little progress that I've been able to make. So... I think that first and foremost we have to attack that and and learn how to gain some empathy. Right. The last question is more so personal than anything, but what do you think you can do or what are you doing to help resolve racial tensions in America or worldwide? Well, I think that one and I think first and foremost what all black people can do is be themselves. Mm -hmm. Um I think every day black people dispel stereotypes mm -hmm. and I think it's important for us to to celebrate that within ourselves then I think it's important to be aware of your history and be cognizant of the way in which racism and white supremacy can rebrand themselves and rearrange their their rhetoric and rearrange their titleization uh, in order to seem less threatening however it's, it's the same thing I think we have to look to connect ourselves in a way that demands both uh, political and social recall and reconstruction. I don't think that we can operate off the norms that are today. Yeah. And I don't know whether that calls for physical violence per se, but I do know that the history of the world teaches us nothing has been gained without such. Yeah. So, you know, I think that we should all be prepared <laughs> for, for whatever may come. Exactly. Nah, that's real life, bro. I appreciate you giving all your information, man. That was real helpful, real insightful. You really had a whole lot to say, man. And I appreciate that so much. <laughs> I appreciate you, too.
appreciate you uh, having me on, and I appreciate you uh, just asking me the questions and, and really uh, giving this dialogue a space. Yeah, man, no doubt. Well, all right, y'all, that is the end of this week's episode of What's the Word? Glad y'all tuned in, and I hope to see you next week. Deuces. What's the word? Oh, no. What's the word?